everybody, I'm Caleb. I'm Hoyt. I'm Trevor. And I'm Andrew. And this is the second installment in our story time series. Last week we got to hear from Andrew and his story about the entirety of his life. But as a tradition, we are going to start with a good old fashioned Hoyt's heresy. Hey, we're going to hear from our good buddy, Dr. Coy Barker. Coy Barker, a new one. I guess we actually haven't done any of his stuff. He's pretty basic, Mm. but I don't want this to be a big like thing for this episode because we're going to hear from Trevor. Yeah. We'll do a short one. Yeah. Um, This one will be pretty succinct and plain. The delay of your blessings is being shattered and your breakthrough is here. Exclamation point. Fire emoji, fire emoji, fire emoji. The, okay, so the delay of blessing thing, right? So God's timing ain't working out for him. Yeah, for real. You know, uh, he needs his blessing now. Mm-hmm. And the breakthrough thing, that's a very popular term too. Yeah. Breakthrough. Because it makes like, it seem like you're doing this awesome thing and you're breaking through. But also at the same time, let's talk about the delay of blessings. That implies that like something, like if it's God's will to bless you, there's something that's delaying that, meaning that like... There's something there's we have the power that, to do that we have to unlock well, to us. get our blessing. There's something else in the spiritual world that is able to overcome God's will for... Yeah. Will in general. No. Uh, and the, the, they'll use that... Like the delay of blessing, like then they'll like speak to something in the feels, you know, like your yeah. anxiety, your depression, you know, your current circumstance in life is delaying your blessing, and that's why you don't have enough faith because your blessing isn't coming through. But your breakthrough's on the way, though. Yeah, your breakthrough's on the way. On the way. So your your verdict? <laughs> no. All right. No. So, I, I hate those are the biggest things that they would say. The Old boys I used to listen to, right? Yeah. Always talking about the breakthrough. Always talking about your next blessing. Always talking about you, 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 you. What's the Toby Keith song? I want to talk about me. <laughs> they, I'm fully convinced that you, they would listen to that at least three times a week. <laughs> Maybe play it as a church during a prayer meeting. Well, Who and knows? even then, like we talk about this with the all Queen's these guys. Song, you know, I want it all. I want it all. And I want it I now. want it all. Hey, yeah. We talked about all these guys. They're really just chasing clout. Mm-hmm. What Doctor Coy Barker? Did. I don't. I don't even. Not even sure where he got the doctorate from. But yeah, doctorate. Yeah, Doctor Coy Barker. I'm not sure if I don't know if it's honorary or what. But oh, you said Doctor Doctor Coy okay. Barker. He on a lot. I'm not gonna say most, but on a lot of his tweets, he says, uh, "Retweet and type Amen to receive something like that." Like so, instead of praying, this is the equivalent of that. Trevor but really, uses what he wants. Uh, <laughs> Trevor uses retweet a what? <laughs> you can do it a you lot. Got it. Trevor uses retweet tweet. a lot on this go. podcast, so he's like halfway there. Yeah, you're this close to becoming a Christian influencer. So close. I thought you were going to stop at Christian. <laughs> no, no, influencer. You you got the hair, you got the lingo. Mm-hmm. You just need to uh, relevant. Addiction. You You're need relevant. to uh, put on someone else's pair of glasses when you read the scriptures. Oh yeah, specifically non-prescription. Yeah, I have 2015 vision. 
that would be okay. Well, you wow. need to find someone who has like the exact opposite of you, so that when you put it on, you can't read the scripture, and then you just have to interpret what the blur on the page means and preach that as truth and declare it over everyone, and you'll be good to go. All right. Well, uh, so, Mr. Trevor Holland. So, for those of you that don't know, Trevor is one of the electric guitarists for our band Priority One. He was. I, I would hope at this point you would know who we are. Well, for those of you that may be new to the podcast, um, one half of the electric duo, the other half is producing the podcast. Andrew, as always, does a phenomenal job. And the third is currently talking. The third member of the duo? Yep. (laughs) Did I stutter? Remember, points, not a math. I think the issue is that you didn't stutter. It's Um, a combination of math and Spanish. (laughs) Ohana means friend. (laughs) <laughs> so like i said this is and the story friends time will episode. be left behind this is the story time uh episode for trevor and trevor's gonna tell us his life story so trevor take it away good buddy well it all begins in a galaxy far far away now um so we'll get we'll get started as a wee little lad um i was born new year's day which is actually a, it's a great fun fact. I don't ever really have to come up with a fun fact ever because it's like I was born on New Year's Day and I was the second baby born in my hospital in Jackson, Tennessee. Uh, you'll see a common trend there with that city of Jackson. Uh, but yeah, basically that's where I grew up. Um, when you talk about Christian influence on my life, uh, I had on my dad's side... I didn't ever really know my granddad because he passed when I was, uh, I believe, two. But my grandmother had a huge influence on me, and both my parents did as well. And obviously my maternal grandparents did as well. Um, But but specifically talking about my mom, my dad, and my uh, grandma, it really, their philosophy on all that was um, actions speak louder than words. So, um, when it came to my grandma, she would always like show sympathy and love to people who, a lot of the times I was like, how in the world can you show like any support to these people right now? Uh, for example, um, she had someone who I guess would have been her, it would, it would either been her, um, niece or something along those lines basically come in and we've mentioned this on past podcasts i don't know if this has been edited out or not or if it's even been mentioned that much um she was a waitress basically her entire life and so she was dirt poor and i she opened her house basically to anyone that needed it including um i guess it would have been her niece that really took advantage of her later in her life but uh, she kind of let that slide at the time. And like looking back on it, it wasn't the greatest thing in the world. But in the moment, it was like she was just reaching out her hand to people. And uh, my parents were the same way. Um, my dad was huge on like involvement, community, things such as that, getting involved, not just in the local community, but in the local community of churches and things like that. Cobra, are you cold? No, I'm just an old man and want a blanket on my lap. Okay. Weird. And then, back to my story. 
uh, and then my mom was kind of the same way. Um, there was obviously the aspect of like scripture reading and things like that, Bible drills. Uh, my dad was a Sunday school teacher for a very long period of time. So we, we learned that, but their philosophy was if our kids aren't seeing that, then like, what are we doing as parents? And so I had, in my opinion, I think the best support group growing up. Um, and so, yeah, that kind of influenced me and my brother. Um, I will say this, as far as everything goes, we have already established that there is a queer cut difference between Mississippi and Alabama and some parts of Florida and the state of Tennessee, uh, especially when it comes to like Christianity and how that looks like. Tennessee claims to be in the Bible Belt. I have fully learned that they are not at this point. At least I don't believe that they are. Um, and sometimes that's not a horrible thing. But in some senses, they're, it's like church isn't taken nearly as seriously up there. Um, so, yeah. And what I mean by that, we I've been a member, I would say, of... I, I counted at one point either six or seven different churches in my life. I have, I think the longest I've stayed at a church was about six years and, uh, we moved around a lot and looking back on it now, I think they were all completely justified. I, I thought in the moment, um, we'd switch and we switched denominations a lot too. Um, started in a Baptist church and now, um, we go to a Baptist church back home. But uh, switching to a lot of non-denominational, one group which was um, GCCF, I'll never forget it, Gadsden Christian Community Fellowship. And um, yeah, it was, a, it was a church that met in the community center in my hometown. Um, currently, the church that I'm at is meeting on the campus of a Baptist university uh, in their chapel. Um, another church that I went to largely met in people's homes. Um, was that an independent fundamentalist yes. Baptist? Do what? Was that like an independent fundamentalist Baptist? Yes, that one really? specifically was, yes. Wild. You went to an IMF. Whoa. Wild. Um, was it like you King used James? the King James Bible for a minute? We didn't say for long. But maybe for, I, I don't even remember how long. Because I remember going and I was like, this is weird because where's the building? Because it was like someone's house. But we didn't say for long. Okay, um, can I ask you a question about that real quick? You can. How was the preacher? I don't remember because I wasn't in there for the preaching. Okay. Largely, I was with the kids. Okay. But um, the woman that was over our Sunday school was very nice. So... That's what I remember. Um, or at least I perceived her as nice. But um, I assume she was. But like recently, the, the last church that I switched out of was a uh, Disciples of Christ church, which a lot of people don't know a lot about the Disciples of Christ uh, denomination. Basically, if it oh, like First Christian Churches, if you've seen that name. Um, essentially what it is, is they... Every church is ran independently of each other. You can have the wildest theology that you possibly want, and the Disciples of Christ, the denomination, really won't do anything about it. Um, so it's a denomination of non-denominational yes, churches. Yes, that okay, is how I explain it. That's okay. I explain that to everybody. And the church specifically that I went to, I didn't, I didn't have a problem with any of their theology. It largely was walking into 
I think their preaching style was very similar to a Baptist church, the way that services were ran. There were some things, like we took communion every week, which got very monotonous, and that, that'll that be a later point that I might make. Um, but things like that. Um, but yeah, and so since coming down to state, I've obviously gotten hit very hard by Baptist theology, which are things that have basically been taught in my house my whole life. I just have not necessarily seen that out of the pulpit, per se, my whole life. But anyways, let me not get too ahead of myself. Um, So yeah, that was kind of the upbringing I had. I have an older brother. Um, He is, I guess, three years older than I am. Um, (laughs) Yes? Yes, it's late. Um, Man, imagine not knowing the ages of your siblings. We're doing that. Um, And so... Yes, so basically a built-in best friend at that point Um, because obviously we're homies. He's gotten me through basically everything ever and like I was the typical younger brother of adopting everything that he did. So like for example, he started watching WWE so I was like, you know what, WWE's cool. He started watching MMA. I'm like, you know what, MMA, it's pretty cool. Who's your favorite wrestler growing up? Um... It's going to sound demonic. I was a big Kane guy. I was a Randy Knockout Orton guy myself. I can see that. Definitely. I was also Edge. Big Edge fan. Edge was good. A spear people. The um, guy from you too? Batista. <laughs> Batista bombs. Yes. Yes. I got Batista bombed a lot. And we all, you know, we all love um, John Cena. But yes, of course. Um, and then, yeah. Um... What else? Also, music taste. He was the first one that started playing music. He played drums. He was also the first one to get into like grunge music. So he was the one that got me into Nirvana, which eventually got me into playing guitar, which eventually got me into doing what I'm doing right now. So thanks, Jeremy. Um, but anyways, I'm good. Lloyd is offering Cool Ranch Doritos. Well, that could be a, a hot take discussion. Yes. The sweet chili is very good. Like the light purple is very good. So, yes. That's basically my growing up. Um, I could get started because there were some some things when you talk about like things that affected my later life things and like challenges that I went through. There were two big ones that I joke around a ton about today. But looking back on it actually like really affected me as a kid. Um, And the first was, believe it or not... Um, my body saying, you know what? That is a peanut and that is a tree nut. You cannot eat those. Um, we figured out very soon uh, into my life that Trevor can't do any of those things. I cannot eat a peanut. I cannot eat a tree nut. So like, for example, I have been dumbfounded by how many people don't know what a tree nut actually is. And I guess that's just because of me. Like they've asked like, is an almond a tree nut? Is a whatever basically anything that you could possibly think of that would be considered like even a pistachio is considered a tree nut walnuts um pecans things like that um and i say that that affected me because um largely i was an outlier when it came to like parties and stuff in elementary school like i i mentioned this before um at some point like in kindergarten and first grade, whenever parents were like, we're buying 30 cupcakes for the whole class. And they bought... You mentioned one. this later. In a yes. 
regardless, um, that have tree nuts, say, in them. I would be the kid that would walk up and be like, hey, sorry, I can't eat that. And I was trained to say, hey, sorry, I can't eat that. And, like, I had to bring my own lunch. I couldn't eat basically anything that was given to me by anyone other than my parents. And that was a preventive measure. But at times it did make me feel kind of alone in a sense. Um, I did space out a lot because I, I did have, like, almost a fear of that as a kid. So, like, there would be times... This may even be documented somewhere if you went back and read my, like, old, like, teacher notes and things like that, like how we have report cards and stuff. Um, there were times where I kind of did just kind of chill on the outskirts because of that. Um, didn't have, like, a ton, a ton of friends. Like, how most uh, younger kids, they're kind of friends with everybody. Uh, I didn't necessarily have that same experience. And also, I was very short because of another thing. I had growth hormone deficiency. And so, I did not produce much natural growth hormone from the time I was two to about four. And then basically from that point, it just kind of like shut off. So I had to take growth hormone every day. And I was a wee little boy, like, like tiny, tiny. I wish I could find a preschool photo of me. Probably whoever ran the priority one fan page for that little bit could find that photo and uh, post it. But it is, it is actually kind of crazy to look back on that. Um, I didn't reach like an average height. Does your mother have Facebook? She does. What's her name? <laughs> I would not be saying that across the internet. But anyways, um, yes. So I don't know if she would have any super small pictures of me, but like, yeah, like that was kind of one of those things. I didn't realize it at the time, but um. What I noticed was that we had the typical playground crew at Gadsden Elementary School. There was an odd number of us. There was, I don't remember if it was like nine or 11 or what, however many kids there were that played. But there was always an odd number. And what I figured out was I was always the one that did not get picked. And so in that time, I would consolidate and like say, hey, that's okay. I would be the referee. So. It was actually kind of funny looking back at it. There'd be times we'd be playing football out on the field, and like I would be the person that maintained the line of scrimmage in the first down marker and the touchdown, and deciding when those spots were. Man, um, so much power. Yes, had a looking back at it, I had a ton of power. But also looking back at it, there's a reason why I was designated to be the referee. It's because. Yes. So, um, and that even played into my sports things later. But, um, but yes, so all of these things are kind of simultaneously happening. And what I learned was that athletics might not be for me. Um, I love sports. I love sports analysis. I can even remember when I was younger, like watching um, Sports Center and things like that, like every single day and like being infatuated with all of that. Um, but didn't really do anything about it. And then I realized, hey, you know what humans can do? They can read books. And when I learned how to read books, that was a game changer. Um, I read a ton in elementary school. And that was kind of my relief from all the tension of like not being a baller was I could just read. <laughs> um, which 
in a sense, the most stereotypically unballer thing ever. Yes, which in a sense furthered me from the rest of the crew in elementary school because who is this lame kid that reads at recess? That lame kid was me. Um, <laughs> it's got me pretty far now, but back then it was it was not very cash money. So, um, but yes, all of this has kind of culminated into um, my elementary school experience. wasn't Was it great? Um, didn't really get a lot from it, but we continued forward and we marched forward. When we talk about salvation and things such as that, um, I was always a pretty attentive listener in church. Um, there were times where I'd sleep in the pews if I didn't have children's church, which again, we bounce around. So there were some places where there weren't children's church and you just had to sit in there. Actually, fun fact, one time at a, um, revival i got yelled at by a guy who was coming down the pews who saw me asleep and he like yelled at me how old were you at this point i was probably seven or eight that is funny i have a vivid memory of it though <laughs> i bet you're petrified. like i was like, <sighs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's like oh. but um i i do remember this very clearly um i was eight years old and i'd been going to church for quite some time we were actually at a baptist church at this point and um, I remember coming home from school, and there's just something different. Um, obviously, I'd been, you know, reading my Bible um, and kind of not really soaking on it at that point because I was eight, but kind of gaining an understanding of what it said. And it was specifically, um, for some reason, it was like October, and we were talking about Christmas, which obviously has become a more common thing now, but at that point was not like super common. This was like 2010. Um, but I remember reading about that and like Jesus' birth, and I was like, oh my goodness. Jesus was born here, but then died. Mm-hmm. And then got rose again. And I was like, that's the coolest thing ever. And so I talked to my dad about it. And then the next day at school, he picked me up and I was like, dad, I want to be saved. And like, talk through that process um we were actually in the truck at that point driving home and he called the pastor at our church at that point and um we talked through that process actually over the phone fun fact and um after i had talked to him for a little bit they talked and then it was like all right trevor we think you're saved or whatever um (laughs) and i was like oh my goodness and I, I vividly remember it because we had McDonald's chicken nuggets in the fridge that I warmed up and I ate. And oh, I was a weird kid, y'all. And uh, <laughs> I did the same thing. And I put the ketchup in the little, um, in the little other side of the yeah. container. Yeah. And I ate them. And I was very happy and very content. Maybe filled with the Holy Spirit. No. <laughs> but anyways. Um, Yes, so that happened, and then just a, it was a couple of months later, actually, uh, it was unreasonably warm. I remember that, because it was like February of 2011 when I got baptized, but it was unreasonably warm. Like, I wore shorts outside. Um, we got baptized um, at that church, um, and yeah, that's basically, I, you know, I say that's kind of where everything started. I started to get more involved with, um, obviously, church and, like, youth stuff. Uh, we finally settled down at a Methodist church. Um, 
And that's really where I started to get involved with like youth programs and things like that. And uh, that's where really everything starts to pick up for me because my first and probably to this day, the most prominent form of ministry that I've seen that I've really connected with is camp ministry. And so uh, begins at this little camp called Lakeshore. Um, it's a little Methodist camp out in the border of West and Middle Tennessee on the West Tennessee side. Um, but it is literally, when I say Lakeshore, is the shore of a lake. No way. The Tennessee River. Fun fact. Um, or, Were you parked out by it? 80 no. miles from it? No, we were actually right next to it. Hmm. It, was the, it was the lake 80 miles from a major metropolitan area, by chance? It might have been 80 miles from Nashville. Something like that. Ooh. And I'm parked out by the lake 80 miles from Nashville. Yep. I almost threw up. Okay. <laughs> so it's okay. So did I. But uh, yes, anyways, so to continue down this spiral road that we're going on right now, um, that is really the first place where I felt connected. Um, and like some of my earliest memories of like feeling like I could hear God and things like that, like really kind of deeper understanding than just reading my Bible and being okay with the words that were being said. Um, and I don't know if that was the emotional attachment that comes with camp, if that was any any divine intervention in there. I don't really know at this point what it was, but at the time, it felt certainly like something. And so, um, yes, that was a huge influence on my life. And uh, through elementary school, I was your typical camper that would go up there. My mom was a nurse there that was a volunteer nurse several weeks out of every summer. Um, and that was actually fun fact. That's where I got exposed to medicine and I found my love for that, which obviously we'll get to in a second, but, um, things like that, uh, camp really had a profound impact on my life, especially around the time of middle school. So that's where we will get started from here. Uh, unless y'all have something to add. Well, man, I, nothing in particular. It's like, um, if you listen to the podcast and you know, like my background with camp counseling and everything. I heard it described one way particular, and I'm sure you can relate to this, like having gone to camp and everything. I heard it like this in respect to a D now. It's like when you're, when you're at a D now just for like 48 hours, cause like Friday evening to uh, Sunday afternoon, really it's not even 48 hours, but the reality is, is like it, if a regular week of ministry is, you know, Sunday morning, Wednesday evening, maybe Sunday night, you're getting four, four and a half hours of ministering with a kid a week. And so when you have it in now or something like that, you're really getting like the equivalent of a, a month or a month and a half of ministry in the span of a weekend. So when you go to somewhere like camp, you're getting like six or seven months of like ministry exposure crammed into uh, a week. And like that compounds because it's nonstop in your face for Entire race, like I, I 100% understand what you're talking about. Yeah, and not just the connection, I think, with that, but also just the connection with nature and things like that. It kind of clears your mind a little bit. Oh yeah, for sure. Of everything that is going around, even when you're younger. Um, because I was never a, I, I went to one Cub Scout meeting 
and I was like, <laughs> I hate this. And um, so, yeah. Cub Scouts were the best, man. Yeah. We didn't do anything. We learned how to tie one knot and like, go play football. Like, okay, exactly. We're just kidding. We we did much more. Than I feel like there. I feel it was like still a it, great time though. Is very little responsibility anymore. Just go outside, and have fun. Yeah, no, like no. It's for Trevor, he might stumble upon a wild tree nut. And... We had days where we would just play football. Yeah, and like in the yard. But yeah, I think but yeah, there were. It, it was always random in my family because you either tried Cub Scouts like once or twice and you didn't do it, or you went full eagle. Like those were your only options. Full eagle. But, um, but yeah, okay. Back to the narrative. So, um, you know, see, I also, I also like to sing a lot. I'm not very good at it, just, but he's not you, very good at like segues and transitions. So he just goes, I'm going to sing my well, way back to what I want to talk about. Like the, the only thing I can think of when he's doing that is I forget the name, but it's the guy on YouTube who does like the history of the entire world. And he has like the jazzy. Oh like, my oh, goodness. Yeah, I'm thinking, especially with this hair right now, I'm thinking of John Ralphio from Parks and Rec. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, and the dinosaurs were dead. And then Trevor just moves on to his next thing. Yes. Speaking of my next thing, we'll get into middle school Trevor. This was an awkward phase for everyone, including me. Um, Because it was a big time of transition from little Trevor who cries because he can't eat the cupcake and has to eat a Rice Krispie treat to mature Trevor has to lead a group in a small group discussion type thing. And be a man type situation but um but yeah so and i'll talk specifically on sixth grade year first um i realized that my hopes of playing like basketball and things like that were long gone at this point i played sixth grade basketball i was six man um was not an absolute baller i did hit a spin move once that was very clean i will say (laughs) um that I got props for, and then I got fouled on the layup and missed both free throws. But <laughs> hey, but today he can absolutely destroy some middle schoolers. Man, that fourteen-year-old didn't send chance. Um, mm-hmm. He really didn't. I was wearing bands too. That was embarrassing. Career ended. I was in my Jordans. I was very yes. upset because I creased them. Yes. Mm. Sad. But yes. So um, when it came down to all that stuff, I decided first of all. I'm not going to be any good at this, so I'm going to choose a sport where you don't have to be athletic at all, and it really all comes down to willpower and determination, and that is called cross country. <laughs> um, it really does not matter, and that was a big part of my life, but it really didn't become a big part of my life until ninth grade, so we'll get to that in a second. Back to camp, though. Um, obviously, elementary camps were pretty big at uh, Lakeshore. There were about two to 300 kids um, in that, or at least for me, that was huge. And so I knew when it came down to, um, bless you, bless you. Thank you. Sorry. Bless you. When it came down to junior high or middle school camps, whatever you want to call them, I knew I wanted something a lot smaller. And so I even went to the smallest camp that they offered in this place. And it was called Wham. Now you might be wondering what in the world is Wham? Wham as in George Michael Wham? Wham. The, the singing group? No. It's Wham. It's Wham. Whammy. Whammy bar. Yes. Whammo is in the frisbee company. Which is interesting. It was, no, like wham as in the sound that a whoopee cushion makes. Whoopee cushion goes. 
a whoopee cushion if you pop it. I don't know what kind of whoopee cushions you got, but uh, (laughs) the ones down here sounds like y'all must be y'all must be using the Mississippi whoopee cushions. Um, anyways, um, Wham stands for worship arts and music. Now, keeping in mind, I don't have a musical bone in my body, and I I still don't feel to this day that I do. But at this point, I am oblivious to anything that has any type of beat or rhythm, or really anything at this point. Um, so I go to this camp. I have a pair of worn, untuned bongos with me. <laughs> and we go to town. I kid you not. Um, the guy, the dean over the camp. Um, no, he's actually a counselor at this point. He eventually became the dean. But the counselor of the camp plays guitar. And he looks over at me every time that we are practicing for the final worship session that we do. And every time I hit the bongos, he kind of looks at me. It's almost an indication of, hey, don't play the bongos because you can't play them. But I wouldn't feel included, so I played them anyways. Um, And what are they going to do? It's a church camp. Um, But yes, so I didn't necessarily, I loved the environment of having, we had like six kids in my cabin, which was the only guy cabin at the camp. Um. So, and basically everybody knew how to play either guitar or keys or like they could do percussion, things like that. Um, so I heard that was probably the most exposure I've had to music, like at one point, like at that point in my life. And so I was like, this is interesting. Cool. Put it on the back burner. Um, and then I go back next year and I'm like, this is actually really cool. But it was because of some uh, some circumstances that had came up in my life. So I had mentioned my grandma earlier and um, she didn't have great health. She had diabetes. Fun fact. You and her were twinning in that regard. Um, and other things like that. Um, obviously, some other health issues. She just gotten older. Um, but they realized that she had some clotted arteries and she needed open heart surgery for that. And we obviously knew the risks that came with that. My dad was probably the closest to her, like in regards to all of her kids. And so we were also the ones that lived like 10 minutes down the road from her. So like we were the ones that always took care of her. So she went in and had this surgery in June and the surgery actually went, they said, perfect. Like went in there, she had the surgery about a day later. She was, um, she was like alert and conscious and doing all these other things. Um, and she had started the road to PT and it had been about a week. Um, this was over the summer. So me and my brother, my mom and my dad, we stayed in the hospital. I, I kid you now, probably 12 hours a day. It was like eight to eight. That's what we did. I got sick and tired of the food courts there. Like it was, I can only eat so much subway and Chick-fil-A. Like, even though you say, well, Chick-fil-A, but it was the, um, it wasn't the one where they fry the Chick Fil A. It was the other. I, I don't even know. It's the like other. they don't fry the peanut oil. They fry a vegetable or something. It's like the Chick Fil A in the Union. Yeah, it it just wasn't. It wasn't even as good as the Chick Fil A in the Union. It just was not good. Um, sure. But it's like they got it. They got all their food shipped. From it, it literally Chick-fil-A tasted like tater Chick Fil A, and then stuck it in a microwave to warm it back up for you. That might have been what they did. But anyways. Um, Besides the point. But yeah, uh, that was basically what I went through for a week. And then we finally were like, okay, I think she's getting better. And it was just going to be my mom and my dad that went up there. We were going to take turns with my aunts, my uncles, like 
babysitting not just us but also like all the other cousins that we had because we did have some cousins that lived close um but then we got a report that things weren't going exactly as planned and it was kind of weird that her pt wasn't going like anywhere like it wasn't going forward at all um and we started to note that she was going backwards and there was a couple days where we weren't at the hospital we kind of wondered why me and my brother did um Later, what we learned was that she had digressed, like, severely to the point of where she had, like, basically no cognitive function, like, out of nowhere. And it was a weird thing. Uh, looking back at it, during the the operation, she had a series, they said upwards of about 100 mini seizures. Oh, man. And basically, for that week, there was, like, a delayed reaction where she didn't react. And then that next week like in a snap of a finger, probably in about the span of 48 hours, she had lost all of that. And in another span of 48 hours, um, was basically, um, she basically brain dead. And so it was really tough as a 13 year old seeing that. And to see this woman who we were told at the time was doing great, um, that everything was going up kind of falling back down. Um, and so it was just a really, really tough situation for me and the family and she passed soon after and it really hit hard because she was like our rock um she was the person that like by any means was the okay we have to go run errands we're gonna drop you off at nanny's house and things like that um she had been there for us throughout everything um i'm fully convinced that if she would have been alive during COVID with graduation, she would have gotten a seat over one of my parents. Like I'm, I'm pretty convinced that it would have been um, my mom and her there. Um, like that's how much she meant to us. And so that was really tough, but to transition into um, the rest of kind of the narrative here was a week later, I went back to Lake Shore and I realized because I I don't I don't necessarily feel like it was like a depressive episode, but it for sure was like you could tell that there was like a void there, um, and there was something about music that I don't know what it was. I played a like barely any guitar at that point. My brother had a Behringer Strat that I, um, funny enough, I tuned every single string to B. And tried to play it because I thought that's what you were supposed to do. And uh, he came into the room and he was like, what have you done? Um, <laughs> that, yeah. Memories of the time when one of my younger sisters, I would like walk into my room or something and they would have taken my guitars and they would just line up the tuning pegs. Yeah. It's just stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, things like that. And then I got taught like base the very fundamental basics and I didn't even bring my strat. I had a first act like little mini acoustic guitar. The ones that they have clips over the uh, tuning pegs to make sure that you don't cut your fingers as you're playing. Mm. Like one of those. Like I'm talking like this was meant for seven-year-olds to play on. And that is how I learned all of the basics on guitar in that week. Um I didn't really think much of it at the time, but I started to play a little bit. And there were a couple songs to this day that still mean um, 
a lot to me, but Blackbird was one of them. That was like one of the first songs that I kind of sat down and was like, okay, I'm going to learn how to play this and did that. But that basically catapulted me because this was the time in my life where all the reading that I was talking about, those super cool. It was like, actually, I forgot to play guitar now. <laughs> and like, that was my attitude. So my brother gifted me that guitar. And soon, probably two months after, um, I got a um, little Squire Telecaster, which I'm kind of looking at right now in the corner of this room. Very similar to that guitar right there. And um, that's what I wanted to play guitar on. And so that opened up some avenues and opportunities for me to play. Obviously, I joined a little punk rock band that we played a total of three times for. I make a lot of jokes about four-way stop. Um, it was by far probably the most catastrophic band, I think, in the history of mankind. Quality name, though. Yes, four-way stop. It, it, it was very fitting for like a jazz type band there's actually a jazz band uh in washington fun fact that has the name four-way stop because i looked at that whenever we were coming up with names but uh no we were a grunge band so um played smells like teen spirit at every single performance that we ever did um played a lot of weezer and foo fighters <laughs> um and yeah foo fighters yes last song we ever played was drain you by nirvana which Ooh. is a which is like on the back track of Nevermind. Yeah, still is a fun song to play. But I'm wearing my Nirvana Nevermind shirt right now. Yes, fun fact. Yes, you are. If you could see, you would see it. But yeah, so that is basically my beginning of my whole music trek, and it led me down a good path eventually by playing praise music. But it also led me down quite a, a darker path because what I learned was that my focus shifted from, okay, let me play this because this makes me feel better about the loss of my grandmother. And it came to, Oh, I can play these, these rock songs. And like, I was 100% the kid that was like, does help me pick up the ladies type. <laughs> and so it, as funny as it is looking back at it now, it was really really damaging to me at the moment because my head was not in the right spot for all that it was just like i was playing for my own self-satisfaction and there's nothing inherently wrong with that but it just was not good for me and it certainly did more harm than did good but i got opportunities to play more and more um specifically at the church we were going to at that point. That was the Disciples of Christ Church, and I played there for three years. Uh, played bass for a year and a half. I hated most of it, but it gave me an opportunity to play. And then eventually, uh, the bass player, that was I, um, they were like, actually, Trevor, we're going to let you play electric a little bit. And they realized I can I can dilly around a little bit, and it was the glorious day riff, believe it or not. Um, and they were like, you're going to play that next Sunday. And I was like, okay. And onward played onward, and that was like the first time I'd ever actually played electric guitar live in person because all the time before we stopped, I was a bassist. So, what kind of guitar was it? It was, um, at that point, it was not the Telecaster, it was a well, no, at that point, it was my Telecaster that I have now. I had a okay. strat in between, like a Fender Mexican strat in between, and then I had just gotten my Telecaster because we got that guitar because we realized I was going to start playing electric more. That was an excuse to get a new guitar. You find avenues to get them. But, anywho, all of that happening, um, and that kind of got my life on the right track. And so this is a leading into 
high school and things like that. So, like I said, unathletic Trevor. What does he do? He runs. He runs a very far <laughs> distance. Uh, basically like a Forrest Gump type, except I didn't play football at Alabama. Um, <laughs> that's the best way to describe it. Trevor has the same story as Forrest Gump, but just doesn't play football. Essentially. Look at my legs. Forrest Gump was a pre-med. Forrest Gump was not a pre-med, fun fact. I also didn't join the military. But also, Forrest didn't join the military until after college. So, it's a possibility. I still get called by Navy and Air Force crews all the time. Yeah, I still get the emails. Yeah. But um, anyways, let me not make this story like super, super long. It is my life story, though. So, um, we get to this point, and I didn't realize a whole lot of what discipline was. Um, and that even goes with my spiritual walk. Uh, I was very undisciplined with like the cycles in which... Like, for example, daily reading was not a really big habit for me. It was just like, I might read a couple verses, read the you verse and verse of the day type thing, and call it a day at that. If I had gone to like a like a revival or something like that or had been at a youth conference, I would, I would read for like the next week and then just kind of drop it again. Cross Country taught me discipline, and it taught me how important it is to be consistent every single day, day in and day out. Um, first two years, I was not super fast, but I was I was projecting upward. Um, I had broken 20 minutes in my 5K, and I was like, let's go. Um, and junior year came around, and I was announced to be the team captain. And I was like, okay, this is more responsibility now. I'm going to grind. And grind I did. Um, I ran... 400 miles that summer over oh, the span of 10 weeks. Man. Wow. 40 miles a week. Um, I ran six days a week. That averages out to just under seven miles a day. That hurt. Yeah. Hurted. Um, but I was a lean, mean running machine at that point. Um, and I kind of saw success initially. We had um, a couple meets early in the year in August and um, meddled at both of those, which I was like, this is so cool. And really kind of took the credit for myself at that point. And when you talk about being humbled, our next race was in Memphis. And it was uh, at this giant um, meet with like all kinds of fast kids. We knew that we wouldn't do good. We knew that we would probably be the last team like mm -hmm. to place last of all the teams that were there. And uh, we, we get to the starting line, we're running. But I'm running a fantastic race so far. My first mile clock's in at like 5.58. And that was right on pace for hitting like a like an 18.30, 18.40, 5K or so, which would have been a pretty big PR for me at the time. And you see, about five or six steps outside of the first mile mark, there's this hole. Trevor didn't see the hole. Trevor <laughs> steps in the hole. Um Trevor ruins his cross-country season because he steps in the hole. Uh, mm. Basically, what happened was that I strained um, what we figured out at the end of the year was my psoas muscle, which for you who have been through anatomy is like one of the muscles that connects your lower back to your hip flexors. Yep. I think it's people that don't have that haven't taken anatomy that need to know that, not those that have taken anatomy. Shut up, Caleb. We all knew what he meant. Continue, Trevor. So I went to PT for set injury at the end of the year, but it basically ruined my September and October. Like I was in a miserable mood. Um, as you can imagine, I put in all of this work 
all this time in and I was like, you know, I'd finally kind of gotten good at something and it seemed like it had been taken away from me. And I was like, what in the world? Why is this happening? Well, what I realized is that when I wasn't running or when I had to sit out on practices, guess who had more free time to do other things? Me. I have more free time. He's pointing at himself. Yes, of course. And so through that, I found more avenues. When you don't have to run on Saturdays, when you don't have to do this, that, and the other, you kind of figure out ways to get involved. And one of those ways was getting more involved with my church. And I found a lot of success through that. Um, it had, in a sense, deepened my relationship with Christ because I had stepped in a hole randomly on a Saturday night in Memphis during a cross-country race. Mm. So um, kind of crazy how stuff like that works. But this continued on to senior year, and I continued to run because I, I didn't want to let my, my teammates down. Um, continued to do that. Uh, was not fast. I actually injured my Achilles, which to this day I haven't really tried to fix all that much, so I kind of do have bad Achilles. Uh, but it's okay because he needs to be athletic. Is exercise even that important? The answer is nah. yes, but we'll, we'll act like it's not. So um, basically my times were garbage. Uh, if you look at my times compared to people who ran for four years at my high school, um, I don't think I'm last, but I'm second to last. I'm pretty confident. Um, just not that fast. But I realized that also that wasn't necessarily something that I like had to be. And that, that kind of gave me confidence and things like that. Just getting me more involved with different programs. We talk about Chrysalis. Um, Hoyt and um, Britt and I do. Dekalorus. That gave me more opportunities to get involved with that, which I was a super cool ministry and things like that. Um, so that's great. Senior year rolls around and we get done with the first half and it's like, oh boy, I can't wait for the uh, last semester of high school. Oh boy, it's the year 2020. I wonder what's going to happen in March. Everything gets shut down. Nothing. Everything gets what, shut down. Nothing happened in March. And this is this is basically the where I will where I will kind of settle down because a lot of my college story I don't think has been fully told. Um, I don't think well I don't think it's been fully resolved, and so I don't want to talk a lot about that. But um, we get to this point where I can't decide on what schools I want to go to. I've um, I've narrowed it down to Union University in Jackson, um, which at this point was 20 minutes from my high school, but it was actually in my hometown. I lived about six minutes from there, or Mississippi State. Now, we can do this the doorway where I'm like, where did Trevor go? Y'all could figure it out. But at the time, it I'll was... give you a hint. Andrew Hoyt and I don't go to Union University in Jackson, Tennessee. Wait, we don't? Speak for yourself. Yeah. Summer classes, dude. Um, <laughs> I did but, not go to Union, Union University. Union University. But, yes. So, uh, it comes down to March, and I really can't make a decision on college and things like that. Um, essentially, at this point, uh, it is a clear tie to me i can't make any decisions financials don't look to be much different uh turns out they were a little different but um at this point we couldn't really calculate that and i was like i really need more time to think about this guess who had all the time in the world in march and april of 2020 <laughs> me 
Yeah, I had all this time, and I, you know, when when you talk about like deep and thoughtful and insightful prayer and meditation and just asking for wisdom in situations, I never had to do that before that moment, and really just had to sit back and rely on God. But I thought that I already knew the answer. It's clear cut, right? It is the private Christian school that um, hosts numerous programs that basically had uh, for their like honor students like invitation. Um, basically, the president of the university just bashed Planned Parenthood the whole time and like got a standing ovation from all of us. Mm-hmm. That environment versus Mississippi State, which Obviously, it might be a little different here, but from where I'm from, is solely a party school and nothing else. Um, Bro, you haven't gone to Oxford then. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But like, well, we don't send people to Ole Miss because they can't afford it. <laughs> but, but yeah. Um, anyways, we get we get down to it, and uh, I can't really make a decision. And then we get the financial aid packets in, and we realize that um, the better financial option is Mississippi State. And I didn't want to admit it to my parents because my parents were big union fans because obviously I would be in the same town. Um, It's a Christian school. It had always been where I had kind of dreamed about going to school. Uh, But me and my mom kind of went to the same conclusion that we felt like Mississippi State was where I was going to go. And it was the weirdest thing ever. And I couldn't explain it. But I remember walking into the living room, and it was 100% my decision. Um, I would have naturally had to support myself a little more at Union, but went to the living room, and I told them they better buy some more maroon clothes because I'm going to Mississippi State. And so, woo, party celebration. Posted on Facebook, got a bunch of comments about it. Um, But yeah, that is basically where I was led. And to this point, I don't know exactly what the story is going to be told my time here at state, but um, I feel like that's a pretty good place to leave off. I've obviously gotten involved with um, the BSU here and um, other things, gotten plugged into a church down here that um, I've really enjoyed being a part of um, and has led to an infinite number of opportunities that I wouldn't have had anywhere else, including Union. I hold that opinion. Um, and just seeing where that leads me school is i mean it it's tearing me down but i'm fighting through it and so that is kind of where we are now so figuring all that stuff out but well thanks for sharing good buddy fantastic fantastic well guys uh so this has been the uh second installment of story time so, everybody, give, if you if you if you're unless you're driving, give Trevor a hand real quick. I was I wasn't talking about us. I was talking about the listener. But well, you should have clarified before. Uh, well, I figured when I said unless you're driving. Well, I guess never mind. That's not really clear. It's also two thirty a.m. So <laughs> well, guess who's or you know just right do now. what you want. We can't tell you otherwise. Yeah. yeah, you could boo. It wouldn't be nice. No, we wouldn't appreciate it. So we're going to have a midsummer update episode at some point, uh, either if not next week, then the week after that. So uh, the next two weeks, we're going to have Lauren's story time, and then we're going to have midsummer update. One of those is going to come up next week. It depends on if we're able to get the timing worked out uh, for us to you know sit down and record a podcast while with our uh, crazy schedules and stuff. So 
um yeah you're in for a surprise next week i guess but uh yeah thank you guys for listening and come back come check us out next week bye see you then